Um, the Word of God never ceases to amaze me. The psalm that we're going to be studying this morning, and I'm going to be preaching through this morning, Psalm 2, was actually written somewhere around 3,000 years ago, give or take a few hundred years. The best we can tell, about 3,000 years ago. It was written in 1000 B.C., and we today are in 2022 A.D., and so we know it's about 3,000 years old. However, the psalm that we're going to study this morning, it seems as though it could have been written this morning because it gives us the picture that we're currently seeing in the world that we live in right now. It speaks exactly to where we are and what's going on. Let me tell you why that is. That's true because God's Word is a living Word. If there's anybody here this morning who is in the habit of memorizing Scripture, let me give you a good one to memorize. It's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. If you're not in the habit of memorizing Scripture, let me encourage you to get in the habit of memorizing Scripture. Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the Word of God is quick and it's powerful, or that word quick means alive. It's alive and it's powerful. If you believe that this morning, say amen. See, really what the Bible is teaching is that God's Word is relevant for the world we live in right now. Some people think that the Bible is some ancient text written to an ancient people, and they see what God has said. And that's true. The Bible is speaking what God has said to some ancient people through an ancient text. But it's not just what God has said then, but it's what God is saying now. Can you say amen? It's relevant for me and for you, and we'll see that in just a moment. Uh, I see that every time I get in my Bible and get a hold of God's truth, just how relevant it is for my life. The, the Bible tells us who God is, tells us who we are, tells us how much He loves us, and how we can know Him through a right personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. The Bible hits us right where we live and gives us exactly what we need to uh, instruct us in godly living. And I'm so thankful that the Word of God is relevant for me. And folks, it's relevant for you. It's a living Word. It goes on to say in that verse that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I love that. What that means is the Word of God can dig down deep into the human psyche like nothing else. It gets to places that I can't get. God's Word, again, hits us right where we live. If you believe it, say amen. God's Word's relevant. For you and for me, it's a living, powerful word. Not only is God's word relevant, but it's righteous. You say, brother, what do you mean it's righteous? Well, Proverbs 30 and 5 says that every word of God is pure. What we have on the pages of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is of a divine nature. It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God and written down by men. You need to know that. It is the foundation that we're supposed to build our life and eternity upon. God's Word, not only is it pure and righteous and holy, 
but it speaks to us of our righteous Savior. Before I became a serious student of the Word of God, I just always believed Jesus came on the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, that's the story of Jesus. That's what the Bible says about who He is. But after I began to dig in God's Word for myself, and I began to grow in my faith, I began to see that Jesus is in every book from Genesis to Revelation. The whole Bible, the whole story is the story of Jesus. Not only, listen to me, do we need to understand and know that the Bible is God's book, but the purpose of the Bible is so that we might know the God of the book. Amen? We might know who Jesus is. And we start in Genesis and we, we see a crimson thread that leads us all the way through to, to Revelation sharing with us about our great need for a Savior, that Savior coming in the person of Christ and doing for us what we can't do and then us who believe in Him reigning with Him for an eternity. All of it from Genesis to Revelation is the picture, the story of who Jesus is. What He came to do. It's amazing. It's righteous. It's relevant. But let me give you another one. God's word's ready right now today to speak to your heart and your life. Can you say amen to that? Are you ready to listen to it? Are you ready to listen and receive as to what God has for you this morning from the book of Psalms? I hope and pray that you are. Hope and pray that that's the reason you came today. You want to get a hold of God's truth so that it might make a difference in your life, so that you might be and do what God has called you to be and do, so that you might truly know Him, so that you might fellowship with Him, because that's what makes all this worth it, knowing Him, fellowshipping with Him. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask God for His leadership, for His guidance through His Scripture. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your Word. Thank you, Lord, that it's relevant. Lord, I'm thankful that it's righteous. It speaks of who you are, Lord Jesus, and I'm thankful this morning that it's ready to do what needs doing in the hearts and lives of people. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lord, use your word to convict your people today. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. There's four voices that I want us to see here in Psalm chapter number 2 that we definitely need to listen to. First of all, you're going to see the voice uh, of sinful people. You're going to see what sinful people say. That happens in verses 1 through 3. Then secondly, we're going to see what sovereign God says. That's in verses 4 through 6. Then we're going to see in verse number 7, um, 8, and 9, what the saving son says. And then we're going to see in verses 10 through 12, what the sweet Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every one of us right here today. So first of all, what are the sinful people saying? We'll look at verse 1 through verse number 3. It says here, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords uh, from us. And so what does it mean when the Bible says the heathen? Who are the sinful people that I made reference to earlier? What are they saying? Well, that's some questions we got to answer if we're going to get a hold of this truth. The sinful people are those who are in direct rebellion and rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sinful people are what's spoken of in uh, the book of 1 John when John talks about the world, the world system that is against God and against His truth. How many of you believe this morning we live in a world that has a system that is against God and against His truth? 
the Bible here in Psalm chapter number 2 and verse number 1 calls these people, these sinners, the heathen. And you say, brother, I thought you said we're all sinners. Well, yeah, I am a sinner, but I have been saved from my sin. I am a sinner who stood in need of a Savior, but now that I have trusted in Jesus as Savior, trusted Him and His finished work for the forgiveness of my sin, listen, I've placed full trust in His righteousness and not in my, uh, listen, righteousness. I I want you to know that now I've went from being a sinner to being a son. We now have sonship. All of those who have placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. God no longer sees you in your sin. He now sees you as the righteousness of his precious son. Can you say amen to that? That's the good news about being a child of God. I'm thankful this morning God no longer holds my sin against me. I'm thankful this morning I've been forgiven by God's grace. I'm thankful this morning I've got in on this free gift of salvation. I'm thankful this morning that when I couldn't fix myself, when I couldn't help myself, when I was helpless and hopeless in this world, God by His mercy and grace reached down and saved me. And I've went from being just a sinner standing in need of a Savior to being a son of God, an adopted son of God himself. And if you're here this morning and you've placed your trust in Jesus as Savior, you know that God the Holy Spirit has done a work on the inside and is doing a work on the outside, continually changing you to be what God wants you to be. If you know that, you too are an adopted son or daughter of God himself. But if you've not yet done it, the Bible says... You're actually God's enemy. And you're standing in open rejection and rebellion of who God is and what God says. That's the sinners that are being spoken of right here in Psalm chapter number 2 and verse number 1. The heathen that are raging. Now there's three ways that the heathen or the the sinners speak. First of all, uh, they speak through a vicious Rage. Isn't that what it says in verse number one? It says, why do the heathen rage and people imagine vain things? Now let me describe for you what rage is. Rage is what you do when you don't know what else to do. Rage is when you become so frustrated, so mad that things didn't go your way that you pitch a fit. I mean, rage is what a two-year-old does when they throw a temper tantrum. Rage is when you get red-faced and cannot control your emotions any longer because things didn't work out like you wanted to work out, and you just clean off a spot, throw a fit, and, and, and show that vicious rage. Now, the Bible says that's what the heathen do. That's how they speak. And folks, I'm telling you, that is certainly relevant for today because I see that all around us. Let me tell you what's happened in the last month and a half right here in this country. You probably hadn't heard a whole lot about it on the mainstream media because they're not going to give you a whole lot of this truth on the mainstream media. I actually heard about it on AFA, American Family Association, on AFR, the American Family Radio. And I encourage you to take some time, spend some time listening uh, to AFR. I always enjoy their ministry, all of it. But they were talking about how in the last two months there have been 21 pro-life clinics that's been attacked that, it, that have either been burnt to the ground or vandalized. 21. Let me tell you why they were burned to the ground and evangelized. Before I do that, or vandalized, but let, let me tell you first of all what a pro-life clinic is. A pro-life clinic helps, um, listen, many times unwed mothers 
um, who are wondering what they're going to do with the babies that they're going to give birth to, and they sometimes will uh, help them to uh, find adoptive parents uh, or other options besides abortion. And, and so after Roe versus Wade was, was repealed, you know, a, a month ago, a month and a half ago, uh, many of these pro-life clinics were either burnt to the ground or vandalized. 21 of them all across the country. And let me tell you why that is. Because the people who are a part of the pro-choice movement who were for abortion on demand anytime, the people who were for that got so frustrated that things didn't go their way. They got red-faced, cleared off a spot, and pitched a fit. And they went out and burned these clinics. You say, well, brother, there's been times that some pro-life um, people have, uh, who say they're pro-life went and bombed abortion clinics. I, I get all that. I'm not, I'm not saying either way is right. I'm just saying that's what happened in the last... It is funny to me, though, that those who claim to be pro-choice are only okay with the choice of abortion. That's funny to me. If you're really pro-choice, then you ought to be okay with the choice of someone going to a pro-life clinic and finding other options for the baby you can't care for. Are you getting me? Let me give you another one. Where we see the heathen rage, the LGBTQ community and movement for the last several years have been saying that what everybody needs to do is just be more tolerant. Now, first of all, I want to define that term. See, the truth is they already have tolerance. Let me tell you how I can prove that. I'm tolerant of those who live in the homosexual lifestyle. I'm, I'm tolerant of those who are struggling with transgender issues. I'm tolerant of them. Matter of fact, I pray for them. Matter of fact, I love them in Jesus. Matter of fact, I want to share with them about the grace of God that has changed me that can change them. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what else. I, I'm even going to allow them and tolerate them doing exactly what they want to do. It's really their choice. Are you getting me? And, and the truth is, I'm not going to say anything to them about what they do in the privacy of their own home. I'm not. I can tolerate them. I can love them. I can even respect them to a certain degree. I respect them as a sinner that Christ died for. Amen. You better do the same thing. All of us must. Let me just throw one more thing in right here. Sometimes it's so easy to hate the sins that don't look like ours. We'll hate sin that don't look like ours and coddle sins in people that are involved in those sins that look like ours. So we've got to be very careful with that. I'm just saying to you, they, they're preaching tolerance, but that's not really what they're wanting. They have tolerance. What they're wanting is acceptance. Even though I can tolerate their lifestyle and allow them to do what they want to do, what they choose to do, I can never accept that that lifestyle is God's plan because that lifestyle is not outlined in God's word. As a matter of fact, God says it's sinful. God says it's an abomination. I heard somebody talk about, you know, back in June that that was Gay Pride Month. And we need to do some, start teaching in our school some history about, you know, gay pride and what all that means. I'll tell you where we need to start with that. In the book of Genesis with Sodom and Gomorrah. 
If you really want to know the history of how God feels about it, go look at that. Amen? Now let me tell you this though. It's amazing to me that those who say we all need to be tolerant are the least tolerant. They're only tolerant with you as long as you agree with their viewpoint. As long as you agree with them. I had a dear friend of mine who owns a barbershop. And um, it's a men's only barbershop. And, and he was telling me a year or two ago that, you know, he had made it plain. It's on, his, it's on his building. It's on his business card. It's on the website. Everywhere he knows to put it, it says men's only. Not because he hates women. Because he's a man. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with having a men's only barbershop or a a women's only beauty salon. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I believe in the rights of personal property, don't you? If it's my own personal property, I ought to be able to do with it what I want to do with it. Matter of fact, the Constitution uh, says that we, we can do that and we're, we have the right to do that, what we want with our own personal property and our business. Amen. So I'm good with that. But, but what happened, he had a transgender man, which is a woman who is living their life as a man, call him up and want to come and get a haircut. He pretty much said, look, I'm sorry, but um, I, I can't do that. It's a men's only shop. And so instead of her being tolerant of his ideas, of his beliefs, Instead of her just going somewhere else and getting a haircut, she come out guns blazing on the internet and did everything she possibly could. Her and the transgender community that she was a part of did everything they could to absolutely ruin the man's business. Why? Because of vicious rage. Just what God's Word's talking about. Now, these are just two issues. We could go on and on and on about how the sinners speak through vicious rage. When they don't get their way, when things don't go like they think it ought to go, get red-faced and pitch a fit. That's what the Bible is talking about here in the book of Psalms. Not only do you need to see that they, uh, they speak, they let their voices be heard through vicious rage, but you also need to see that there is a, folks, um, a violent rebellion that is against the things of God that's being thought out and planned here according to what Psalms is t the book of Psalms is telling us. Look at verse number two. Watch how the Bible puts this. Do the kings of the earth set themselves? Everybody see that? They set themselves what? And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Now what that means is They've made up their mind. They've got a plan together, and they're working together to rebel against whom the Bible calls the Lord and His anointed. Now, now let me, um, let me, let me uh, first of all define what that means. When the Bible says here that they set themselves against the Lord, that word in the Hebrew, in the original language, means Jehovah. And we know it is Jehovah that the Jewish people worshipped. If you've got that, say, I got it. So that's the God of the Jews. But then it says something else. Against the Lord and against His anointed. Let me tell you what that word in the Hebrew means when it says anointed. It means the one who is christened or the Christ. Now, what I believe God's word is saying 
all the way back in Psalm 2, 3,000 years ago, is that there's going to come a time in the earth where the world system is going to be completely and totally in rebellion and in a full-faced frontal attack against the Judeo-Christian beliefs and practices that are in this world. Now, can we look at the world we live in and see that happening? Well, if you can't see it, then you've got your head in the sand. And if you can't see it, that this world is against Judeo-Christian beliefs and practices, then I don't know what world you're living in if you can't see that. It's happening right before our eyes. And I want to give you just some very simple, practical things. The attack on Christmas itself. I never thought I would see the day whenever, you know, it would be wrong to have a nativity scene or be considered wrong. It's not wrong, but it's considered wrong or considered hate speech for someone to put up a nativity scene. Folks, that's ridiculous. I never thought I would see the day where in our own public schools we can teach about the history of Islam and the importance of Islamic beliefs and we can't teach about the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I mean, if we want separation of church and state, let's have it all the way. Let's not pick and choose. Are you getting me? But what I'm, what I'm saying is there is a violent rebellion that is against the truth of who God is and what we as Christians and Jews believe, ultimately. And that was prophesied for us right here Right here in Psalm 2, 3,000 years ago. None of this has caught God by, by off guard. None of this uh, is a surprise to him, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us because you remember what Jesus said. He said, if they hate me, they will hate you also. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Why? Because the servant's not greater than his master. And listen, him being our master, him being our savior, him being our Lord, if they've hated him, they'll hate us. If they hate what he believed in, they'll hate what you believe in. If they hate what he stood for and you're following after Christ, they'll hate what you stand for. Are you getting me? But it didn't surprise God. There'll be a vicious rage, a violent rebellion against the Judeo-Christian beliefs and practices that are being lived out by people of faith. But, but then he says something else. There'll be some vain reasoning that's going to take place as the sinners speak. Watch what this is. Verse number three. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cord from among us or from us. Now, what does he does the is, is the heathen saying? What are the world system that is against God and against His truth? What are they saying when they say we're going to cast off their bands? We're going to break loose from what's keeping us where we are. What 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 that what I believe means is how many of you know God's truth is our standard. God's truth tells us how life is to be lived. And there's a reason for that. If you want to know how life is to be best lived, then you need to consult the creator of life. Well, we consult the creator of life when we get in his truth, in his word. If you want to know how marriage is to be done, maybe you need to consult the creator of marriage. 
If you want to know how parenting is to be done, maybe you need to consult the one who created the relationship between parents and children. Are you getting what I'm telling you? God's word is our standard. But the heathens say, I'm going to be broke free of it. I don't want it. I'm going to live life my way and do my own thing. Let me tell you what I believe the transgender issue is all about. It's prideful men sticking their chest out and shaking their fist in the face of a holy God and saying, that may be what you say, but that's not how I feel. That may be what you want, but that's not what I'm going to do. Folks, this is the world we live in. And so their vain reasoning is this. I tell you what, I'm just going to break free of all the bands. I'm going to do my own thing, live my own way, regardless of what thus says the Lord. Do you see it? Now when Jesus came, he came into a Roman world that ruled as far as government was concerned. When Jesus came into this earth the first time, when he was born here as a baby, he came into the Greek world, which was really the, in control of culture at that time. When he, he came into this world, listen to me now, he, he came into this world um, in, 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 a, in a Jewish world that really controlled religion. Religion, culture, and government has reasoned together and is against the things of God and wants to be broken free from the standard of God's truth. Do you see that in the government we currently have? You don't have to look far, do you? Do you see that in culture? Do you see it in religion? I read something this week that absolutely scared me to death in studying for this message. According to a recent Barna survey, listen to this now. Only about 68% of evangelical Christians believe the Bible to be God's holy word. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who are sitting in church every week. I'm talking about people who claim the name of Jesus. I'm talking about people who are in Sunday school and small group. If, if churches have that, I, I'm just saying they're faithful to being in church. And only 68% say, hey, all the word of God is God's perfect, righteous, holy, relevant word. That's almost 7 in 10. And we wonder why the culture is in the shape it's in. We wonder why churches are in the shape they're in. My question is this. If that study is true, if that is actually what's going on, then what are, church, what are churches preaching out of? What are they teaching? Because it can't be the Bible. If they say they don't even believe it. It's amazing to me. In the area of religion, there's some vain reasoning that's going on where people are saying, I want my way. I'm going to do my thing. 
and I'm going to leave God's word on the shelf. It's all around us. That's what sinners say in Psalm 2. But now watch. I don't want you to see what the sinners are saying, but I want you to see what the sovereign God says. Look at verse number 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He has an attitude or a, some speech of derision. Derision means dis, displeasure. So the, that means God is completely displeased with what the sinners say, how they act, what they're doing. With what they're doing in the government, what they're doing in, um, in culture, what they're doing in religion. The Bible says he's displeased with it. And he has speech of derision. And the Bible says he laughs at them. Now, that, now, what does it mean when it says God laughs? I think probably one of the scariest things you can read in the Word of God is when it said God laughs. Because God's not laughing because it's funny. God is laughing here out of divine irony. When these sinners puff their chest out and shake their fist uh, in, in the face of God and say, I'm going to do it my way and we're going to do our thing and we're going to leave God out of it from kings all the way to peasants, the whole gambit, everybody is turning their back on God and going their own way. God says, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to let you have. And he laughs at them. Look what it says in the next verse, verse number five. Then how shall he speak unto them in his wrath? Look, not only is he speaking in derision, but he's speaking in destruction. And he does it when his wrath is poured out upon this earth. Now, what does that mean? Listen, folks, I believe we are on the, the, the threshold of the rapture of the church. I truly believe that. The next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church followed by seven years of tribulation, what the Bible calls Daniel's 70th week. And in that seven years of tribulation, really what's going to take place is destruction. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on an unrepentant, rebellious world. And the Bible says God's sitting in heaven and he's laughing at the choice of sinners who think they're so high and mighty. He's laughing at those who are rebelling against him because why? He knows what's coming. And he's telling us what's coming. He speaks in derision. He speaks in destruction. And the Bible says and vex them in his sword is pleasure. We see the, what the sinners say. We see what the sovereign God says. Look what the saving son says. Look at this. Verse number six. We'll start there. Yet have I, or excuse me. I don't want to miss this part. He, he says then in verse number six, very important statement. Listen what sovereign God says. God the Father is saying here. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, maybe the most powerful word in all of that verse in verse number six is the first word. It's a very small word, but very powerful. It says yet. Now what does that mean? Regardless of what's been said prior to this, regardless of whether or not sinners are going to viciously rage or violently rage and, and, and viciously rebel 
and, and go in their vain reasoning and do their own thing. Regardless of all of the decisions and choices that the world system that is against God and against His truth are going to do, regardless of their decision, God says, yet I have set my king in Zion. Do you know what the Bible promises? The Bible promises that there will one day be peace in this world. Amen. The Bible promises that men will take their weapons of war and beat them into plowshares. The Bible says that the lion will lie down with the lamb. The Bible says that King Jesus will rule and reign in Jerusalem, in Zion. And he'll reign upon this earth for a thousand years. And bless God, those who know Christ and have trusted in him will reign with him. Serve him in his righteous, holy, perfect kingdom on this earth. See, there's going to come a time when the world has complete and total peace, but it's only going to be through the power of the Prince of Peace. Man, in their vain reasoning, in 1945 created the United Nations. And because they were scared of the godless communist regimes, they said in our, in, in our mission statement, in, in, in um, the, uh, the ground rules for what we're going to do in the United Nations, we're going to leave God out of it. Because when we're talking about pure communism, God, our government is God. Communism in and of itself teaches an atheistic viewpoint. And so what they said, because they wanted all of their support in the United Nations, we're going to leave God out of our manifesto. Let me ask you something. What has the United Nations done for world peace since World War II? I'll tell you what. A big fat nothing. We've been at war since. We're at war now. Well, not us specifically, but the world itself right now, war is raging in the Ukraine with threats of war all over the globe. And it's been that way since 1945. God says, even though the world leaders have kept me out and turned their back, yet there's coming a time when I'll set my king in Zion. Isn't that good? It's like God's playing checkers with the leaders of the world really is. You know what you do in checkers, don't you? Well, what I always want to do when I play checkers is get somebody to king me. I'm going to tell you something. If I can ever get on that back row and get king, I'm fixing to wreak havoc on that checkerboard. It's all about getting kinged. Man, when they crown me, I'm coming at you. Now listen to me. One of these days, God's going to slide his king on the back row. And he's going to be king, crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And he will rule and reign in this earth. When Jesus came the first time, he was the suffering servant. When he comes again, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible makes it clear here in verse 7. Watch this. 
I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Verse number 8, Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So we see what sovereign God says. What did the saving son say? Well, he says, I am the only begotten. <laughs> In verse number 7, I am the son of God. He's speaking about his position. Amen? And then he says something else. He talks about his purpose, his divine purpose. As for me, and he shall give me the heathen for my inheritance. Now, let me tell you what that means. And this is going to bless your soul when you get a hold of it. Jesus is saying here, I can ask of my father, and he'll give the very heathen to me for my inheritance. How many of you know I'm looking at a bunch of heathens? And you're looking at a heathen. I'm a Gentile, and you're a Gentile. And until Christ came and broke down the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile through the fulfillment of the law, until Jesus done that in his finished work, I had no hope and was without God in this world. But praise be unto the mighty name of Jesus. Now by his blood, I too can be forgiven of my sin. And I can now be a son of God born again by faith in Christ. You can too. Me who is a Gentile and you who are Gentiles can become the inheritance of God the Son. That was his purpose for coming. Amen? For God so loved the world. Not some of the world, all the world. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. All of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his purpose. And that's what he's talking about here. First his position. Then his divine purpose. But now watch this. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Go on. Verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Listen. You're never going to settle the sin question until you settle the son question. Is Jesus the son? Is Jesus who he claimed to be? And if so, do you trust in what he did? You got to settle that question. When you settle that question, the sin question then can be settled. Your sins can be forgiven, washed whiter than snow. You can be made clean. John chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. Write that down in your notes, in your Bible there, in your margin, in, in Psalm 2. That's a really good verse. And it talks about that those who believe in the Son has life, and those who don't believe in the Son hath not life. Remember I told you a minute ago that Jesus will come and return to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. When he came the first time, he came as the good shepherd holding the shepherd's staff. When he comes again, he's coming back as King of kings with a rod of iron. Isn't that what it says? And he will break in pieces those who have rebelled against him. Listen to me. The same son that saves will one day be the same son that judges. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of love. But he is a God of judgment. 
And so that brings me to my last point, what the sweet spirit says. Listen to what God the Holy Spirit says, starting there in verse number 10. Watch this. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be wise and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. What's, what's he talking about? From the greatest to the least, be wise. Make a wise decision. Verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Come before God and say, I need you. I cannot be what you want me to be without you. Lord, I tremble at who you are because, listen to me, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And he says, rejoice with trembling. What's the Spirit saying? Make a wise decision. You can know today the Son who saves. If you're a king, if you're a prince, or if you're a pauper, if you're sitting in the castle, in the palace, or you don't have a place to sleep in tonight, whoever you are, make a wise decision. Verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. Do you see it? Do you see the instruction of the Spirit? What does it mean when he says kiss the Son? Do you remember in the gospel messages the story of Mary that came and anointed the feet of Jesus? The Bible says she took that box of alabaster ointment, that alabaster box filled with ointment, and, and she broke it and, and then began to anoint the feet of the Lord and the Bible says as she anointed his feet she kissed him she fell down at the feet of Jesus anointed his feet kissed his feet what is she doing she's putting herself in submission to the Savior what's the Bible talking about in Psalm 2 I think it's talking about the same thing make a wise decision put yourself in submission to the Savior lest by he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all that put their trust in him. What's God saying to you? There's coming a time when there will be peace on earth. And it's only going to be possible through the Prince of Peace. Amen? God's promised that. But until then, we can all have peace in us. Amen? Peace that passes all understanding. And all of it is based upon whether or not you trust in Him. Amen? Stand together. I don't know how God the Holy Spirit has spoke to you this morning. I know what he's spoken to my heart. Some of you may think that, you know, when I'm up here preaching, that somehow, some way, I'm pointing fingers at you. That is not what's happening here. It's not. Believe you me, before I ever come out and share with you, I come before the Lord myself. And many times I'm thinking, Lord, I can't go preach this 
You know my condition. You know who I am. You know who I failed. And I've got to get on my face before Holy God before I ever come out and share with you. Because I believe most of what I receive is for me. We're all in this together. And what I've given you today, I've given you because I know that's what God put on my heart. I don't know what he's spoken to you, I only know what he's spoken to me. See, this is not about me making a decision for you or you making a decision for me. This morning, I'm asking you to make a personal decision to trust in Jesus if you've not yet done so. The promise is this, the Prince of Peace is coming. He will have, we will all, listen to me now, know when he does. The Bible promises there will be peace on earth because of who he is. But the truth is, the good news is, you don't have to wait to have peace yourself. You don't. I invite you today to place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and he can give you peace for living and peace for dying. You can be made right with God today if you trust in him. If you've not yet done that, won't you come? If you have already done that, maybe you just want to come thank him. I believe in a good old-fashioned altar experience. The Lord's changed my life in a good old-fashioned altar experience. I think he's still doing that. And so I'm inviting you to get in this altar and get along with God. Men and women have been getting along with God in altars all throughout the recorded history that we find in the Word of God. We need to do that today. So if that's you, you know what God spoke to you, won't you come? If you need to be saved, just come say it. Brother Israel, I want to be saved today. I want to know the Lord. Folks, listen to me. I can't save you. Walking an aisle don't save you. Don't be in a church don't save you. But I can share with you in the Word of God what it means to truly trust in Jesus. And the same Jesus who has saved me will save you. Trust in Him. Because the Bible says, if you don't, you'll perish. That's not what God wants. And I promise you, that's not what you want. If you need the Lord, you come. Brother, play for us.